privilege to pray. Most important service we've had this week is tonight. It's right now. It is right now because we're lifting up our brothers and sisters. Sometimes it's hard to get to the place of praying. Things get in the way. The life gets in the way. Things come up, and it, and it, it can be sometimes a hindrance, and that's something we have to battle against. We have to fight against it, don't we? You know, the devil will do everything he can to keep us from growing closer with the Lord. That's what he does. We've got to be smart enough to see that that's what it is that's happening, the big picture. We've got to be able to see the big picture. I told you this morning that we were going to go into the place of talking about, this morning actually was really about unbelievers. Uh, the things that come about when people don't, fully trust in God, they don't follow him, they start ignoring him. We've had a shooting this week in schools, and it's just pure evil is what it is. I wonder, in fact, I don't really wonder, I know things could be different if he really had a grip on our nation. It would be different. Newscasts would be different things would be a whole lot different. And so we have to get to that place that we can hold on to him. And as believers tonight, we've joined together to pray tonight and to hear this word. And this word is a progression for us to grow. It's, a, it's something that is applying and looking at things in ways that maybe we haven't thought to do. But then we have to start doing it. It's one thing to be able to see that there's a problem. It's another thing to find the solution. And then it's even another thing to put it in motion. How many of you know that? I'm going to raise my hand first. You and the Lord have a good time one Sunday morning. Maybe it's a Monday morning in your prayer time. And things are going to change. And you're going to start doing this a little bit different. We're going to hang on to Jesus a little bit more. And the next thing you know... Something comes hard and it just busts that. I've been there. I don't know if y'all have, and if y'all have got the clue for it, please tell me because I don't want to have that. Oh, yeah. Maybe you're going to start doing something you just know God told you. Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's extra prayer. I don't know what it is, but He will come at us with full force to stop that from happening because He understands the power of God. And so we have to, now we're going to talk about believers' idolatry. Yes, it's true, and yes, it can happen, and we have to be vigilant to avoid it. Idolatry among people of this world is bad enough, but finding it among those who have a covenant relationship. Remember last Sunday night we talked about a covenant, talking about marriage. But have a covenant relationship with God, it, man, it's just awful. It's awful that it can come into our lives. When we looked at James last week, we see that this type of idolatry is called adultery. Remember I used the example last week? You know, I've got a covenant with my wife, and I can commit adultery against her. I couldn't commit adultery against Allison. She's not my wife. I don't have a covenant relationship with her. And so... We have to look at that as our relationship is with God and when we allow the devil to trip us up, and yes, we allow it, we make the decision. 
and we allow it. We decide who we're going to follow and who we ain't. And so these things can come on us, and then we like to stand back and say, well, the devil, you know, he's just been on me. Don't fall for that because it ain't about what he can do. It's about what Jesus can do and who we're going to follow. That's the bottom line. And so we have to hold on to that. And I told you this morning, we're going to talk about King Saul this, this evening. King Saul and the Amalekites. I'm not going to read all the whole story. Most of you probably know most of it. But we're going to look at him and just see how idolatry was affecting somebody who was a follower. Now, in 1 Samuel 15 and 1. It said, Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Do you see? Heed the voice of the words of the Lord. You've got to pay attention. We have to listen. We have to do. We have to do the book. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him. On the, on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep and camel and donkey. It's pretty simple and it? it pretty much lays out what God's orders are. But what did Saul do? Let's go to verse 7. Same chapter. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Hevelah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. So they kept the good stuff and wanted to get rid of the bad stuff. Hmm. Now to some people it would probably appear that Saul did obey God. But did he? No, he didn't. In verse 10, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have, made, have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. Now, there's two things right there. Number one is he didn't listen to God, and it was a problem, and God says, it just bothers me that I even made him king. But here's the other side. The prophet that God sent to talk to him and to set up this ministry, he cried out to God all night for him. His love for him was so strong that he cried out to God all night. You see, Saul didn't give God the worship or the obedience that he deserved. He was unfaithful to God. And many people will look at it and say, well, you know, you think about this. I, you use my kids. If I give Ryan a job to do, clean out the garage, what that will entail is pick up the stuff on the floor, the stuff that we just kind of laid around when it should have got put up and 
He's in a hurry. Anybody done that? Does anybody else do that occasionally sometimes? And uh, you're bringing wood in so the floor gets dirty. And if you don't keep it cleaned out, you're going to be tracking it into the house. And when you track it into the house, sweetie goes on the warpath and she's ready to kill you. So I give Ryan this job to do, and Ryan goes out, and I said, "You look, you make it look nice, make it look neat, and he and, and make sure, please make sure the last thing you do is sweep the floor and get everything up good." And so he makes the garage look better than it's ever looked. Just so tickled at him, but he didn't sweep the floor. Did he do the job that I asked him to do? He did not. He did about 90% of what I asked him to do, but he didn't do the whole job. And most people will say, well, ain't you just being picky? Let me ask you this. Was God being picky? See, our world does that. You get I had, Hey, I was over people on a job, and, man, when you'd call them in and they'd get, an, get their evaluation for the year, and they're like, you know, hand on the hip shaking, how come I got this? Well, okay, and you start naming the things out. Well, instead of them saying, okay, I'll do better, thank you for showing me that, they get defensive and get mad. That's the world we live in today. We're going to find out that it was kind of like that back then too. Let's watch this. I mean, think about it. What's God complaining about? He got 90% of it done. See, it's not God's fault though, is it? Let's look at what happened. In verse 23, this is what God calls it, by the way. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. Why in the world didn't God just focus on what he got done? Why didn't he just look at that and say, okay, th that's okay. Well, if God did that, we would do what everybody does. We would start shirking a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. God says, no, I'm looking for this perfection to do. When I tell you to do something, I expect you to do it. Why does he do that? He does that to keep us out of trouble. He does that to keep us from sliding into the place to where sin can enter into our life, and, and yet... He calls partial obedience disobedience, total disobedience. He also calls it rebellion. So when we take the things that we learn in the Word and the things that the Spirit will remind us of and we do not allow it to come into our hearts, it's called rebellion. What boat has got the people of a rebellious heart? It's the one that's got everybody else that we don't like. We talked about them this morning. It's the same boat. And it can put us and hinder us in a bad place. You see, when Samuel confronts Saul, he denies it. Well, after he denies it, he does what everybody always does. This is something you see happening today every time you confront somebody with something. Then he puts the blame on the people. And Samuel says, oh, no, buddy, you're the one that's in charge. This is your responsibility. This is on you. But look at what we just read there. Stubbornness is idolatry. We can't change that, can we? Don't that what the Bible says? Stubbornness is idolatry. 
And you have to ask the question, why is it that people push back against God? Why is that? Let's look at today, why people push back. They want their will. When we prayed tonight, we're asking ultimately for God's will. Lord, touch Miss Margaret and heal her in her body. I'm not telling you what to do, God. I'm putting her up before you knowing that you are the only one that can make this happen. Nevertheless, we pray your will be done. And whatever your will is, we are going to be content. Folks, we got to get up tomorrow. We got to finish this day up saying, I'm going to be content with God's will. Otherwise, we get ourselves in trouble. People will do that to get their own agenda. Have you ever seen people trying to get their agenda? You know, they ask the roundabout questions and ask 50 different ways, you know, like loggers. That's why you got a lawyer that looks out for you and says, asked and answered, you know. But they have an agenda to do, and they're always trying to get to that place. People will do that because of their wishes. They will do it for the desires that, have been, that they have that they have placed above what God's will and his desires are. See, all the things, they come from him. He will give us the things that we need. Ain't that what the Bible tells us? He'll give us what we need. And an idol is anything that we put before God. Brother Randy did a testimony this morning talking about what he was going through. He could feel sorry for himself and he could do all these things. But you know what? Right now, that's God's will for you to be on that path. Hang on to it. There's a blessing somewhere going to happen. We've got to hang on to that. 1 Samuel 15 and 20. And Saul said to Samuel, this is what I told you a minute ago, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Well, what was he, just not smart? What was it? We read like a few verses ago, God gave him exactly what to do, but he said, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. See what he put in there? God didn't tell him to do that. He told him to kill him, get rid of him. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. I don't know why I can't say that word. You see, he chose to put his own desires above the word of the Lord. And folks, that simply put is called idolatry. And it blinded him to his own contempt for the Lord. See, when God gives us something and we put and say, oh, no, God don't know what he's talking about, that is contemptuous behavior. Pull contempt in a courtroom and see if you get to spend a night in a jail and pay a fine. Judges don't allow that. Neither does our Lord, folks. He doesn't allow that. And we need to get that deep down inside of our hearts and inside of our spirits that he will not accept and receive contentness. Just like it, we looked in Romans this morning, Saul's idolatry wasn't figurines, altars, and temples. It was his disobedience to God's word. He exchanged truth for a lie, and deception took a hold of him. Did you hear that? He exchanged truth for a lie and deception took a hold of him. When he spoke, I, but I have obeyed, he really believed that he did. He really believed, I've done what God told me to do. Got himself in a bad place there. But we also know that when deception took a hold of him, he became jealous. He became demanding, unreasonable, full of rage, a hateful attacker of God's servants, a murderer, and he even consulted a witch instead of God. You remember that? He was wanting to talk to Samuel. 
You don't think that stuff is real? According to the Bible, it is. I think it's somewhere around chapter 20-something or other. But he did do that. He consulted a witch so he could talk with Samuel instead of talking to God. And that's a bad place to be in. And all of this was resulting from this root of idolatry. And those who choose to disobey what Scripture clearly teaches become blind to their own disobedience, folks. It's hard to be able to see. That's what idolatry does. It blinds us to the truth. And we have gone to the place of now exchanging truth for deception. And we believe God's on our side. Let me say that again. We take and exchange truth for deception. And the next thing is we believe God's on our side. Many of the problems happening among believers today would be gone away if that one step there never happened. God's on my side. We've heard the people say this. You, you see if you know what I'm talking about. We think that God understands our heart and he approves of our behavior. Have you ever heard this statement? Have you ever used this statement? Well, God knows my heart. That's usually the defense that believers will use when not having to face the truth and not having to face God. In reality, we are in opposition to him, and we make ourselves an enemy of God. Yes, he does know our heart better than we do. Never forget that. He knows our heart. Contentment is an aspect of God. Discontentment is an aspect of idolatry. Contentment is a feeling or showing satisfaction with one's possession, status, or situation. And we cannot properly serve God unless we are content. Otherwise, other things start getting into that service. We start putting our own spin on things. And we will look at situations from the perspective of how will this benefit me or how will this hurt me. That's what... The opposite of that is. Philippians 4 and 11 says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. How do you think Paul was able to get beat up all the time? How do you think he was able to do what he did in ministry? Wasn't Paul a good minister? Things happened when Paul showed up. He had the Spirit of God on him, but he was content. He was very content. 1 Timothy 6, uh, 6 7 through 8 now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we'll carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. We should be content the fact that we got clothes on our back, and we got food, and we got shelter. That's all that we really need to be content about. Well, I wanted this kind of car. Okay, that's good. Work for it. But if God says no... Don't get mad at God. Don't get mad at the people around you. Be content in the things that we have. You see, gain doesn't always happen on our timeline, does it? That's why it's so hard sometimes in ministry when we're trying to help out or help someone. It's always a lot of times a question will come up, well, did we see any gain from it? I'm so glad you decided to go ahead and do the Easter egg hunt. We could look at that and say it's a wash. We've grained a lot of people into our church because of that thing. But we've sown seed. 
and contentment. We're content. The gain doesn't always happen on our timeline or the way that we see that it should. And see, contentment helps us to stay a steady course and not give up in our prayers. Because we know who he is. We know what he can do. Look at Jesus in John 4 and 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's what Jesus fed on. That's what he was seeking. He tells us in Psalm 40 and 8, now look at this, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. You see, no desire or passion existed in Jesus outside of the will of God. And he, we learned the other week, is our example. And therefore, nothing should be sitting inside of us that should be outside of the will of God. And folks, if we grow up and if we grow up as nice big Christians and we're talking to Jesus when the will of God is given to one, we won't have a whole lot of questions about what's going on over here because we trust the Lord. Amen? Bothers me when I hear people say, I've been praying and somebody else been praying and they come up with two different things. Well, who's hearing from who? Because God's not the author of confusion. You see, Jesus went in, he threw over the money changers' tables, didn't he? He desired to have dinner with his disciples just before he had to go and suffer. He wasn't content in seeing people in bondage or being sick or being lost. You see, if we got Jesus in our hearts, we will never be content on seeing those things. We will always be in prayer for those that are lost. We will always be in prayer for those that are sick. We'll always be in prayer for those that are suffering. We'll always be asking the Lord, will you use me? Here I am. I am your servant. If you will use me, then I will go. But it takes a boldness because sometimes when we go, we have to take some truth with us. They may need to hear a little dose of truth. And idolatry has no place in our lives otherwise we won't carry that out. And then we become complacent. And complacence, complacency is a bad thing. In John 6 and 57, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he feeds, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. He received everything from the Father. How's your life going with that? That's the question you can ask yourself. Jesus answered in, in eight, John 8 and 14. And he said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. Praise God as believers tonight. There is nothing that should be able to drag us down in this world because we know where we came from. I know where I came from. Oh, and I thank God that he loved me enough to save me. I thank God that he got a hold of me one day. And he's been growing me ever since. He's been taking the hoe to me some. Yeah, getting rid of some of them weeds that's there. And I might not want to get rid of them. And sometimes it hurts. But he loves me. But because of that, I know where I'm going. And when I know where I'm going, I'm not going to be afraid of anything that a man can do to me. Amen. Dude walks in here tonight and takes a gun out and starts shooting us. I pray that you're ready, but I'm not scared of that. He takes me out tonight. I'm in the presence of the Lord. Amen. That's something to be happy about. 
My own desires don't come into play there because when they come into play, then I start acting like the world and not acting like the Lord. I mean, he's either great or he's not great. He can control everything. He can keep those gunmen from coming in. But he says it's going to rain on the just and the unjust. My job is to make sure I'm ready. I know where I'm going. Heart attack gets me before I get done preaching tonight. I know where I'm going, and don't you dare come up here and start pumping on my chest. Let me go, because he's decided that's, that's what he wants, and that's where Ken is. I want to be into his will. I want to do what he, where, go where he wants me to go. And you see, we will never be deterred from being a follower of Jesus. And by the way, we'll be a perfect servant just like he was. He is our example. The other side that we want to look at is covetousness. It's an aspect of idolatry. And it is the strong desire of, of obtaining or possessing some supposed good. You see that? Some supposed good. In Colossians 3 and 1, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, which Christ is, where Christ is sitting, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then he will all, we will also, you will also appear with him in glory. You see, we do, we're supposed to seek his kingdom. We're supposed to seek the things that's in the Bible. We're supposed to seek his will. And we're to set our mind on those things that are above, not on the things of the world. You see, that is, is the key to where we, we, we go to this place of remaining in a contented state whenever we're seeking his will, whenever we're seeking his kingdom, when we're seeking the things of above. You see, I got a little, a few bit of dollars in the bank, and I don't have many of them. I could get broke up and buying a Volkswagen tonight. I can tell you that. But I'm seeking things that is in heaven. There's nothing in this world that should be able to take place or control of that. You understand? You understand where we're going at with this tonight? You see, Saul got into a bad place. He got to this place that, oh, thought he was doing okay. Mark 6 and 33, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Is that truth or is it not? There you go. Seek his kingdom first. First. We first seek that. During Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, you remember that? He went, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Satan tries to Get him to seek provision outside of God. He's wanting him to depend on him. He was very hungry, and the devil was hoping that he would move from the place of contentment to the place of covetousness. Anything that we desire that's greater than God is covetousness. But Jesus, our example, refused. He made the decision not to go there. And shortly after, what did God do? He sent angels down and fed him food from heaven. He hung in there. He hung in there because he knew the word. He knew the Father. He was a total and constant communication. And see, those who seek God, not just use God for what they want from him, will find their minds set on things from above. I can't tell you the number of times in seven years of ministry that I've talked with people and they get all excited for Jesus. And then when God doesn't do what they think in the time frame he thinks, 
you don't see them. You see, God won't be tempted. You got to hang on to him. You got to hang on to his will. See, heavenly things and God's desires are what we are to seek. Colossians 3 and 5, Therefore put to death your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is, what? Idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. You see how they're linked together, how they're tied together? Idolatry and disobedience, they're tied right together. And that's what it is, covetousness is, idolatry. When we find ourselves in a state and strive because we lack peace and restfulness, the bottom line is, is we have tension with God. We have tension with him over how our lives are going and we don't like his plan. Well, I'm speaking of how people are today. Many people in churches today are facing the same thing. It breaks my heart to see believers be against believers. And it comes down to idolatry. That should never happen. There's a quote in Hebrews 13 and 5. said, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself, who's he himself? It's Jesus. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Folks, we need to start living like we actually believe that. I could have delivered that another way, got you excited, maybe make you shout a little bit, but we've actually got to believe that. See, the proof is in the pudding. Do we live it or not? Verse 6 in that same, in Hebrews 13. So we may boldly say, the, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. When we worry about what man can do to me, we get to the place where we're not trusting Jesus no more. See, it's vital for us to clearly understand the truth of God's word. It's written down for us, so we're without excuse. None of us will be able to go before God on that day and say, I didn't know. You got Bibles in your hands. I see a bunch of you looking down at them. You got Bibles on your electronic devices, your telephones, your iPads, your computers. We got the scriptures up on the board, what we did have. We can't say that we didn't know because He gave us everything that we need. And just as He reveals Himself to the creation of the peoples that we talked about this morning, they are without excuse. It's the same for us. He reveals everything we need to know right here in Scripture. And that tells us. We are without excuse. As difficult as it is to hear that partial disobedience is the same as idolatry, we can be thankful that we have learned this. Amen? Ain't you glad you know this? Because if you didn't know it, you might be on a path and you just don't never get off of it. We can be thankful that we know this. You see, because if we know what's on the test, we get to pass the test every time. And I can promise you this, tests are going to come. Jesus promised that, didn't he? You're going to be tried. You're going to be tried. But he gives us the answer. He shows us the way to get out of it. 
And all that just does is shows his goodness and his mercy. He's given us everything we need. Our problem is, is we can't take this, bend it, delete it, or do anything out of this from what he says. Otherwise, it's idolatry. And friend, idolatry is very dangerous. If the Lord is revealing in your, to you where you have been partially obedient or been stubborn or been covetous, friends, it's time to repent and ask him to cleanse us. That's what we're to seek tonight. But also, if he hasn't revealed anything to you, I'm not saying there's something there, but you just remember this. It's easy to become deceived and blind to our own condition because it happened to Saul. We showed it in word tonight. So we're going to close out with prayer tonight for yourselves. You can come up and pray. You can stay where you're at and ask God to use this message tonight to show something in you, something that you might need to see about you. And I'm going to ask him to show him some things. See, man, he's really been showing me some stuff, and I thank him for it. Trying to do the best, but you know what? Every time you turn around, the old devil's going to come up and try to trip you up. We've got to choose not to allow that to happen. We don't want to be like Saul. God anoints you as king, and then all of a sudden you don't listen to him because you figure God is not right. God's always right, friends. Never forget that. He's always right, and he never messes up. So let's pray for a few moments tonight.